0: All right, now I think we're ready. Sorry about that. Steve Morris was not a typical child. He was a nine-year-old boy um, that desperately wanted to be viewed and accepted and valued by others. Uh, He was born in Saginaw, Michigan, and when he was a young boy, his parents moved him to the city of Detroit. And of all the things that Steve remembered about his years growing up, one of the things that stood out most uh, was a teacher that he had in elementary school, a teacher that recognized something that was unique and different about him. Course, his teacher, Mrs. Beneducci, was a wise woman. She knew that little kids needed to be recognized not just for the things that they did, but they needed to be recognized for who they were and what made them unique and what made them distinct. It happened one day in her cl- tiny classroom there in the city of Detroit when Mrs. Beneducci called all the kids to come into the classroom, and that's where the rest of the story begins. So she called all them, she said, Jesse and Ned, come on, everybody, settle down. We're going to talk a little bit about history. And there was some groans and sighs from the kids as they would prefer to be outside. But she said, it's important that you learn something in school because if all you know how to do is play, then your life won't amount to anything. So she turned to one of the little girls and she said, Amy, who was Abraham Lincoln? Amy stared um, at the teacher and said, "Uh, I think he had a beard. And all the kids laughed as they heard that reply. And she immediately turned to little Steve Morris and said, Steve, who was Abraham Lincoln? And without a blink of an eye, he said he was the 16th President of the United States. You see, Steve knew those kinds of things. He knew the facts. He knew the information. He had a remarkable gift, and answers to questions were not something that was very difficult for him at all. All right, she said Abraham Lincoln was the 16th President of the United States. He was the President during the Civil War. And then she stopped. And she said, What was that noise? Who's making that noise? And the kids turned around and weren't sure what she was talking about. And she said, I hear something. It's a scratching noise. I think it might be a mouse. And in that moment, shrieks of of panic erupted in the classroom and kids started climbing on chairs and on desks and everywhere. And, And she stopped the kids in the classroom and she said, wait a minute. She said, Steve, she said, can you help me? And in a moment, with his chest swelling with pride, he said to everyone in the class, be quiet. And the classroom went silent. And as the classroom went silent, Steve started to turn his ear. And as he turned his ear towards the garbage can in the room, he realized there was a slight scratching noise underneath the garbage can in the room. And he said, it's over there by the garbage can. And Mrs. Beneducci discovered very quickly that a little gray mouse by the garbage can rustling in a piece of papers was something that Steve had found. And it became a mascot for the class for the rest of the year. Something that seemed so insignificant to many people was very significant to Steve because, you see, Steve had a remarkable pair of ears in compensation for having been denied the gift of a set of eyes. And so as the class settled back into business, things as, things as normal, Steve walked out of that room with a sense of pride in something he had. And he's able to take that sense of pride and turn that sense of pride into a popular musician with five Grammys, 17 golden singles, four golden albums, four platinum records. And that little boy Stevie Morris that we knew back in Detroit, Michigan, eventually became, does anybody know, little Stevie Wonder. And that's the rest of the story. Paul Harvey became very well known in, in the 70s and 80s as, as he was a well-known radio broadcast uh, r- communicator. He began this... Um, this running episode called The Rest of the Story, and he would tell historical facts about things and give you the backside of the story, the rest of the story of all amazing things that happened all throughout our country and throughout our history. And this morning we're going to have the opportunity to hear some individuals, to observe some individuals who are going to be baptized. We're going to go public with their faith. But we don't just want to baptize them because they've said they're followers of Jesus. We want to give you a chance to hear the rest of their story. But before we hear the rest of their story, we want to invite you to hear the rest of a story of another man several thousand years ago who was baptized, but we want a chance for you to hear the rest of his story before he was baptized. And so this morning, I don't know where you are at in your faith journey I don't know if you were visiting a friend and maybe they said, Hey, I'm going to church. Why don't you come along? And you got brought along to church. And, or maybe you've been coming here for a while and you've heard things about faith and, and you've heard things about following Jesus, but it's not all made sense and you haven't put all the pieces together. Um, or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a period of time and you've gone public with your faith. And I think the story that we're going to hear this morning will challenge you as well. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Acts chapter 8... Acts chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, our guys have some in the back, and they'll pass them out and make them available to everyone. Acts chapter 8. The Bibles that they're passing out, it's going to be on page 890. Page 890. You can also follow along on your phone or tablet. If you have that, just connect to our wireless network and follow along there as well. So let me tell you what's happening in the book of Acts at this point. The book of Acts is really the activities of the apostles, also known as the disciples. So after Jesus went back to heaven, the book of Acts tells us what did his followers do. Did they just decide that was a nice three-year run? It was a lot of fun. It was a cool adventure. And now just going back to fishing and tax collecting and whatever else they did. No, they didn't. Their lives were changed forever. And so the book of Acts is what took place, the activities of the lives of Of these guys. And so that's what the book of Acts is about. And as you read the first couple chapters, what you discover is this message of Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, was a message that many, many people were waiting for. A big celebration was taking place called Pentecost in which Jews from all over the known world would come annually to the city of Jerusalem for a week-long festival, a week-long party, if you will. And so Jews from all over the known world packed the city And as they were there, Peter spoke to a large crowd of them, several thousand. And as he spoke to several thousand of them, suddenly they were all able to hear this amazing message of the gospel in their own native tongue, in their own native language. And thousands of them chose to follow Jesus on that day. The religious leaders weren't too thrilled about it because... All of a sudden, everybody was following the Jesus people and not them. And so they began to bring persecution through a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, later known as Paul. And he began to kill and to take out many of the new Christians in that day. So as this persecution increased, it didn't deter the movement. It actually escalated the movement. And so a little bit later... 5,000 people came to Christ and chose to follow Jesus. So now you've got eight, 9,000 people who have chosen to follow Jesus in this city of Jerusalem that was normally designed for about 1,000 people, and now it's 10, 12, maybe 15,000 people, and massive amounts of people are following Jesus. Well, if you look in that chapter 8, verse 1, it says, "...the persecution continued." A great persecution broke out, and all except the apostles scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The people basically said, we've got to get away from this, so they left Jerusalem and they spread out, just like Luke said they would in chapter 1, verse 8. And Philip was one of those in verse 5. He went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And in verse 12 it says, But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And as you read this story, what you discover was happening with Philip is he went to this place called Samaria, which was a place that was hostile to the Jews, and he began to talk about Jesus, and he began to heal people, and there were signs and wonders and miraculous things happened, and a whole bunch of people chose to follow Jesus. This was an amazing thing that took place. It was quite miraculous. I mean, this was the happening place to be. God was doing all kinds of supernatural things, miraculous things, Remarkable things, and that's where Philip was. But it says down in verse 26: An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And as I thought about that a little bit more this week, I thought, you know, Philip was at a place where everything was working right. He was at a place kind of, you would almost say it was his sweet spot. Things were clicking on all cylinders. I mean, he was preaching, and people were believing, and people were following Jesus, and people were getting baptized, and God says, I have something else I want you to do over here. And he didn't tell him what to do, just go for a walk. That's all he told him. That's all he told him. As I thought about this, I thought, you know, there's some times in our lives when we are busy doing things that seem like the right things to do, and God taps us on the shoulder and says, I want you to take a walk over here where things seem to be going great financially, and God says, I want you to take a little walk over here financially. You think, this is the right job, but there's a couple things ethically. I'm not sure if I can live with that. And God says, I want you to take a little walk over here. And God taps us on the shoulder and says, I want you to take a little walk. And that's what faith is. You see, faith is believing without seeing Faith is, I don't know what this means. I don't know why he's telling me to do this. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. But faith is when God gives us a nudge and says, I want you to do this. And we trust him enough to do it. And so we don't know exactly where Philip is. We know he's in Samaria, which is about in the middle of the land of Israel. And he's told to go down to Jerusalem and then to south to Gaza. And the only thing we know about Gaza, most of us know about the Gaza Strip, which was there was a lot of conflict these days. But it could be about a 50-mile trek Not one that he would have hopped into his SUV and kicked on the air and driven down the road. But he would have strapped on his sandals, grabbed some food, maybe a little bit of water, and started to walk. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what God was going to do. He had no idea what God was up to. But along the way, he's going to encounter someone. And as you hear the stories this morning of individuals who've chosen to follow Jesus, one of the things that's remarkable in the stories that we hear over and over and over and over again is the people that God brings into other people's lives. Sometimes it's a parent that God brings into their lives. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a small group leader. Sometimes it's a a coach. Sometimes it's a grandparent. Um... Kids are having a great time up there this morning, aren't they? They're just praising Jesus off the roof, you know, through the roof. So we're really going to miss that when we go across the other side. But, um, but so he walks down this road and he crosses paths with this guy that's an Ethiopian eunuch who is working for Candace, who's the king or the queen, excuse me, of Ethiopia. Look at there in verse twenty-seven. So he started on his way, met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Canis, which means queen of the Ethiopians, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So what do we know about this? We know he was going to Jerusalem to worship. Likely he was an African Jew. He was an African man who was a Jew. He had gone to Jerusalem for, the Pente- for Pentecost to worship. We also know that he was in charge of all the money for the queen of Ethiopia. So he's probably the secretary of treasury, finance minister. This is a person that was high up in the ranking of the government, the top ten people in the ranking ranks of the government very influential person very influential but it goes on to say that on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of isaiah the prophet now when we think someone's sitting there reading the book of isaiah we think well they just open they just got a bible and they opened it up to isaiah and they were reading isaiah but that's not how it worked in those days this wasn't just a book that he was reading this was a part of a scroll they say, well, couldn't he just get a copy of the scroll? You know, order it from Amazon Prime. You got it there the next day. No, that didn't happen like that. That's not what happened. Scrolls were not readily available in that day. You see, they had the scriptures as it was originally given, then individuals known as scribes would write letter by letter, word by word, hand copy the Bible as we know it today. And then these were rolled into scrolls and these were stored in the places of worship, in the temple or other significant places of worship. And then the rabbi would come on the time of worship. He would open the scrolls and he would read a portion of that to the people and then they would close the scrolls and they would put it in a box that would seal it because they're in the desert, remember. And so you just didn't happen upon a scroll. And so this guy had to be wealthy He was a Jew. He knew about this verse, this part of the book of Isaiah. He could have have hired a scribe to write it for him. He could have arranged to purchase it from someone who had it. Regardless, we know he's a person of great, great influence and means. And so, the Spirit says something else to Philip in verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. Go to that chariot and stand near it. Now, Philip's walking down a desert road. And the Ethiopian eunuch is likely not walking down a desert road. And they just, he outpaces him and comes alongside of him. This is a wealthy individual. He probably was in a chariot. There could have been multiple chariots, there could have likely been horses. And they had stopped on the side of the road when Philip came upon them. And it would be a very unusual scene in the middle of the desert, even on a road, for that to happen. It would be a little bit like you walking down Route 272 and you see in a picture that looks a little bit like this. You know, if you see four or five black SUVs with tinted windows, you know there's probably someone that might be of some great influence and significance in that caravan. And so the Spirit says to Peter, he says, go go over there and, and stay by them. Stay near them. So... What, what do you think Peter would do? What do you think if Peter was like most of us, he kind of might, you know, kind of saunter by and you know just looking around, you know, and just wondering what's going on, and maybe walk a little ways and kind of turn back and come back the other side and just trying to be a little inconspicuous, you know, doesn't want to stand out. That's not what Philip did. Look what it says. It says Philip ran up to the chariot. No surprises here. No surprises here. He ran up to the chariot. And then it says, he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. He didn't see him reading. He didn't walk by and, oh, what's he reading there? What's he, he, that's not what he did. He heard him reading something. And he would have heard a man likely reading something in Hebrew, or it could have been Greek if it was a Septuagint, but probably Hebrew. And he would have recognized this and said, wait a minute, this is a man from another part of the world. He would have been African, so likely he was dark-skinned, but he's reading something that Philip recognized that he knows is from the prophet Isaiah. And all of a sudden his ears perk up and he realizes there's something more going on here. And so he says to the man, he says, do you know what you're reading? And the man says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he says, come on in. Come on in, come in here, we'll wind the windows up, put on the A.C., and let's just sit and talk, is what he says. And he says to him, the passage that they were reading was from Isaiah 53. It says this, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. This is the part of Isaiah 53 that talks about the suffering to the Israelite. They would have known it as the suffering servant. There's four different chapters in the book of Isaiah that refer to the suffering servant who the Jews later came to understand was actually Jesus. They didn't really know who this was going to be. But someone was going to suffer at the hands of other people. Someone was going to be mistreated unjustly. Someone was going to be led, as it says there, like a lamb, silent, silent and not trying to defend themselves, not kicking and screaming, I didn't do this, I don't deserve it, it's not fair. And then in verse 33, he was deprived of justice, and his life was taken from the earth. And so what happened when Jesus showed up on the scene is all these prophecies that the Jewish people had been hearing about for centuries, all of a sudden it all made sense. They got it the pieces came together. It clicked. And then when Peter stood there in front of several thousand people, he said to them, that guy you just hung on that cross, he was the one you were hoping would come save you. And the scripture says that they were cut to the heart. They were were convicted. They were pierced. They were like, that's right. It's true. He is the one. And so likely this man was among that gathering of people. And he had heard it. And he wondered about it. And he had questions about it. And he was trying to put all of these pieces together. And right at that moment in time, the Spirit of God brought into his life this guy named Philip. And all Philip did was listen to what the Spirit had to, do, had to say and follow the Spirit's leading goes on to say in verse 34, the the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, who is the prophet speaking? About himself or someone else? And Philip told him the passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. He told him that the promised Messiah, the one that the Jews were waiting for, just like Moses who rescued his people from Pharaoh, was not going to rescue the people of Israel from Rome like they wanted him to. He was offering a different kind of kingdom. Not a kingdom of this earth, but a kingdom of heaven. That's what he was offering to them. In which Jesus would reign as a king, not one that would come over, come and overthrow the Roman government or take them and free them to a land of freedom. That's not his plan. His plan that there would be a transformation on the inside of their hearts. And that their hearts that were, that were stone cold would be softened and that they would be receptive to invite Jesus to take over the kingship of their hearts and of their lives. This was a very different kind of kingdom that he was talking about. And as he explained who Jesus was, and that this kingdom, following this king, would not require being part of a revolution, but it would require a submission of my heart, a submission of my will to say, I will choose to follow Jesus, and not myself, but I will follow Him with my life completely. And upon hearing this message, look in verse 37, it says this, It says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He said, I get it. I get it. Now I understand who Jesus is. Now I understand why He came. Now I understand what He offers to me. And now I understand what I need to do. And he said, I believe. I believe it's fascinating to me that in this story, instantly, they came upon some water, which is ironic because they're in the middle of the desert. There's just not ponds of water all over, like there is in Lancaster County, where you can just find water everywhere. But they came upon some water, and the eunuch said, can we be baptized? And you're thinking, how do they know about baptism? Isn't that just something we do? How, How do they know about this? No, baptism was part of the ancient, part of the culture, part of the religious culture. You see, when someone chose to follow a rabbi or follow in the teachings of someone, they would be baptized because when they were baptized, it meant they had that, their allegiance was to the one who was baptizing them. That's who their allegiance was to. It's a very common practice in that day for individuals. It's a little bit like us that when, when we see individuals like the people, on the, like the crazies on the screen that's going to come up, we know who their allegiance is to, right? That's who we know their allegiance. And if you see me wearing a hat during the summer, you know this is where my allegiance is. And they're in first place. You know, that's where my allegiance is. But I'll wear it even if they're in last place. I'll wear the thing, you know. And then in the fall, when the winter comes, you know, I'll put this one on and I won't be cheering for them. I'll be cheering for these guys. And whether it's the hat or the jersey or the flag in the yard or the, the bumper sticker or whatever it is, you know, we know where people's allegiance lies, don't we? By the team that they follow. That's where we know their allegiance lies. And in the first century, for them, they knew where their allegiance lies when someone was willing to be baptized, when they were willing not to keep this private, not to make this so no one else would know about it, but they were willing to go public and let everybody else see that they were a follower of Jesus. And they had given their lives to Him. And this man of wealth, this man of privilege, this man of significant means was a man who was willing to say to the people that were around him the people that worked for him, the people that served him, I am a follower of Jesus and I want all of you to know that goes on to say there in verse 38, when they came upon water the spirit of the, excuse me they he gave orders to stop the chariot then both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water Philip baptized him when they came up out of the water the spirit of the water of the Lord suddenly took Philip away And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way, rejoicing. And as we look at this story, there's a couple things that stand out that are going to be true of the stories that you're going to hear today. One of the things that's true of the stories you're going to hear today and true of this story is that these individuals were exposed to God's word, God's truth. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And as you think about the times in people's lives when they're open to to the truth about Jesus. Sometimes it's just the curiosity of a child who says, who is God? And who is Jesus? And what is heaven about? And and how do people, do people, are there people in heaven? And how does someone go to heaven? It's just the simple curiosity of a child that leads them to want to know the truth that the Bible has to offer. Sometimes it's the midst of a crisis where someone is at a crossroads in their lives. Maybe they face the devastating loss and they're confronted with their own mortality. Maybe they face a situation that they can't control any longer and they look somewhere for help and the only place they have the help is to look up or to turn to God. Maybe it's wrestling with their purpose and their sense of value and worth and and just wondering, why am I here on this earth? Why do I exist? Why did God create me? What's the point of my life? In those moments in time, it's when the truth of God's word can intersect with our lives. And just like this Ethiopian eunuch that was trying to make some sense out of who this Jesus was, at that moment in time, the truth of God's word showed up in his life. The second thing that happens is someone explains it to them. Someone comes alongside. And in many, many, many people's stories, not all of them, but in many people's stories, someone explains who Jesus is. It could be someone on a stage, someone on TV, someone on the radio. It could be a parent, it could be a grandparent, it could be a sibling, it could be a friend, it could be a small group leader. It could be someone who says, do you understand what Jesus did for you? Not what He did for the whole world, what He did for you. And have you personally received what Jesus has to offer? And then lastly, the third thing that happens is suddenly... Or over time, everything makes sense. Some people, it's all of a sudden. Some people, it's a moment in time and they realize, he died for me. I'm a sinner. My sin keeps me from God. Jesus wants me to have a relationship with God, and so he took care of that so I can have a relationship with God through Jesus. And it clicks. For others, it's a period of time where one part of it makes sense and then later another part and then later another part and then later another part where all of a sudden over time they realize, I do believe in Jesus and I do want to follow Him with my life and He is my Lord and He is my Savior. And so that's what happened to this man. In this case, it was a moment in time where everything came together. And more and more often in conversations that I have with people today, it's something that doesn't happen suddenly, but it happens over time. Where they recognize that they're a sinner. They're not perfect. It doesn't take a lot to convince someone of that. But sometimes to recognize that my sin has consequences. And not just I get caught or I get in trouble or I pay a fine, but that there might be long-term eternal consequences for my sin. But I can't do anything about it. I'm stuck. I'm paralyzed. Can't do anything about it. And I recognize in that moment that Jesus came to do something about it and that he offers hope and a relationship with him. But again, just knowing that about Jesus is not enough. I have to know that he offered that for me. And then I have to personally receive what he offers. I have to be willing to accept that gift. In just a few moments, we're going to hear some stories of some individuals who have gone through that process in their lives, who have come to the place of understanding their need for Jesus, deciding that they're going to choose to follow Him and accept what He has to offer. I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe for you, you've got some questions. Maybe someone brought you along this morning and you're curious about these things of faith. You have some questions, and and I want to challenge you to keep asking questions. God doesn't discourage questions, but questions are one of the key components that open our heart to choose Jesus. Maybe for you this morning, all of the pieces of this are coming together. You've known you're a sinner. That's not a hard one to figure out. And you've known who Jesus is, but you've never put together the piece that I have to choose Jesus. It's not enough that I've been going to church all my life. I'm a pretty good person. But I have to choose what Jesus did. For me. And maybe you've even taken that step, but you've never gone public. And I hope that this opportunity to hear some of the rest of the story of the individuals that are going to go public this morning will motivate and encourage you to take that step on your own as well. I'm going to ask you if you would join me in prayer um, just to bow your heads as we close this morning. God, I come to you this morning thankful for the story of this man um, several thousand years ago, Philip, who was responsive to the Spirit of the Lord prompting him to, to go. And Lord, I don't know this summer what you might have in store for each of us, but there may be someone that you are prompting us to go towards and... Maybe someone with questions. And Lord, I pray for those with the questions that they would keep asking them and and not stop asking them because questions often lead us to a point of faith. And God, for those who have been asking questions but maybe not getting but maybe haven't had all the pieces come together, I, I pray that today might be the day when it does all come together. And they realize, you know, Jesus did die for me. And He offers me a relationship with Him. And God, for those that have done that, maybe today is a day they say, you know, I need to go public with my faith. I'm not going to hide that any longer. I want others to see that I am a follower of Jesus. Lord, I thank You for this man... Philip, who several thousand years ago just followed the prompting of your spirit and was able to become part of the story of this Ethiopian eunuch, part of a story in which a man's life was transformed, it was changed. And we pray that you would use us to do that. In your name we pray, amen. You know, as I think about this summer, many of us will likely be in places that are outside of the normal. Maybe it's some place on the beach we go. Maybe it's a place in the mountains. Uh, Maybe some place we travel. Maybe with family or friends that we connect with that we haven't seen for a long time. And God may just bring you across someone's path this summer who's curious, who maybe has some questions. And the Spirit of God just might give you a nudge to say, why don't you go have a conversation with them? I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what it might mean. But I want to challenge you to be open to those opportunities that God might bring our way this summer.